someone's speaking in, in, in worship, they're speaking. The Lord is speaking to us. Um, and he's drawing us in. And one of the things is, uh, as we look at shout Jesus from the route, uh, mount, uh, rooftops, Jesus into the streets. And I could see shouting the name of Jesus into the streets and calling people who are dead in dysfunction and in chaos out. I could see it in my eyes. Now, I, I, I'm not a vision. I don't claim to be a prophet. I, I, but I do have vision. I have visions. God gives us visions. And I think that that's one of the things that really just encouraged me, actually broke me down. So, so I don't want to make that another sermon, but it is a sermon for another day. So let's open up our Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 5, and we're going to read. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, man, pull it out and read with us. Because it's really, really important for you to read it. God does speak to his in, uh, children corporately and individually. So, Father God, I just want to ask that you protect us as we're studying your word, as we're hearing your word, as you are pulling out the light and showing. I heard Sam behind me, show us your fire. Your fire is your glory, Lord God. And when we read your scripture, man, we see your glory. You are truly glorious. You are truly beautiful. You are truly worthy of our trust and our surrender, Lord God. And I'm going to ask you, Father God, in Jesus' name, to transform us in the light of your glory. Please, we pray this with one heart and one voice in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 5-1 in Exodus. Afterwards, so remember, Moses is out in the desert. He meets God in the burning bush. He doubts God because that's what we all do. God calls us out. He does the, he does the calling. He does the meeting. Who here has ever doubted the Lord? I, I have. You know, I mean, he showed me. I mean, he's thrown things on the table, and I'm like, thank you, Lord, I believe you. And he, he's like, all right, great. And I'm like, but I need a little more. So that's Moses. Moses needed a little more. God finally convinces him to go back. He's got all the provisions. He's going, you're going back to Egypt. Not only that, you're going back to speak to Pharaoh, and things are going to happen. I'm going to tell you in advance what's going to happen but I'm going to deliver you, and I want you to keep remembering that because everything's going to seem like it's pushing against you and it's going in the opposite direction. So remember that as we're reading through this. Sometimes in God's ultimate salvation in our life, things will look like they're going against us. You're like, wait a minute. I can't see how this is going to happen. I just don't see it. Does anybody ever do that? I mean, I do it. You're like, come on, Lord. This isn't going in the right direction. He's like, if I wanted directions from you, <laughs> we would be lost forever. So anyways, 5-1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went back to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold festivals to me in the desert. That means I want them to be praising, worshiping me in a place where they don't have any distractions. I want to get them out from that partnership with a tyrant so they could focus on me. Remember that. This is pretty powerful, and I think it speaks a big word to us as the church. You know, the world wants us to be its partner. It, it wants to be a tyrant to us, but it's like, come, do, do what I tell you to do. Invest the way I want you to invest. Go into my mold, because if you go into my mold, I'll give you what really matters. And as we all know, what really matters is money. Because money promises us stuff, right? It promises us comfort, it promises us pleasure, it promises us security. But the truth of the matter is it really doesn't. It really doesn't. So God says this to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, 
listen to this, the arrogance uh, of the, the Lord of this world. He says, who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Don't you, I do not know this Lord, and I will not is, let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews, he has met with us, and he has given us, uh, he, he wants us to take a three-day journey out into the desert to offer sacrifices unto the Lord our God. Or he may strike this place with plagues or with sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Remember that. Remember that. I want to tell you this. You want something from the Lord? Here's a, good, here's a good word for you. Go and work hard at your work. But remember, don't let them be your partner. Let them be your provision. Because when the time comes for you to go in the Lord's direction, they're going to kick you to the curb. And I can say that with absolute certainty. When, it's when they're done with you, they're done with you. So I'm sorry if I sound anti-world, but that's the way it is. <laughs> then the Pharaoh said, look, these people in this land are now numerous, and, they're, uh, and you're stopping them from their work. The same day, Pharaoh gave this order to his slave drivers, the foreman in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply these people with straw for making bricks. Let them go out and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Do not reduce their quota, for they are lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they will keep working and pay no attention to these lies. You understand? It's an uncovering of a system in a world that we live in. Keep producing. Don't listen to this nonsense about some promised land. Keep paying attention. Do what you need to do. Keep your nose to the grindstone. Jesus said it to us today by Mario. Mario the word he gives, he says this, don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven, uh, on earth where, where moths can come in, rust can steal, and, and thieves can break away and take it all. I, I, I messed it all up, but you understand what I'm saying. He says, have your treasures in heaven. Aim for that. Invest toward that. Why? Because these things can never be taken from us. These things can never be taken from us. So what he's telling us is there's two realities for us. There's a temporal reality that really looks like the real deal. But the reality is there's a greater reality than this temporal reality. And that one is superior to this one. And when this reality is taken away, because it will be, that reality will be all we will have for eternity. So remember this. Okay. Um, okay, so here he says this. The slave drivers and the foreman went out and they said to the people, this is what the Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go make your own straw. Find it where you can, wherever you can find it. But your workload will not reduce. So the people scattered all over Egypt gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete your work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by the Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, why didn't you meet your quotas of bricks yesterday or today or the day before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh, 
Why have you treated us, your faithful servants? Now, I'm adding that word, but that's what they're saying. They're saying, why are you, we've been loyal to you. We've been loyal to you. Why are you treating us like this? Because you were never partners with them. You were slaves to them. Now, I'm not saying we quit and just like, you know, leave this world behind it and never uh, go to our jobs and, and never purchase houses. But I'm just saying, we have to be aware of how we're investing our minutes, our days, our efforts, our treasure. Because I tell you the truth, this place is going away and no one can stop it. All right. Then there was, um, the Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are. You're lazy. And that's why you keep saying, let us go out to the desert to sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to your work. You will not be given any straw, and you must produce the full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized that they were in trouble when they were told this. You are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you each day. And when they had left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron, and they uh, made waiting for them. And they said, listen to this. Listen to this. This is great. He goes, why did you do this to us? May the Lord judge you, for you have made us a stench to Pharaoh. God is finally going to release them from this slave driver, and they're angry because of the opposition. Man, that's an example for us to push back hard against in our lives. For you have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put, and they have put a sword in their hand, and they want to now kill us. Moses returned to the Lord. I love Moses, man. He's so, is there any Jewish people here? Well, we're, we're kind of all circumcised, right, right? But this is so Jewish, the way he says it, man. I just love it. He goes this, he goes, why have you brought this trouble upon these people? This is why, is this why you sent me here? Ever since I went to spare to speak of your name and in your name, he has brought trouble upon these people. Have you, and you have not rescued his people at all. Can I tell you something that was wrong of Moses? But because it was genuine, God received it. You know, sometimes in the Christian church, we're told, man, just paint a smile on your face and just keep saying the right things. Sometimes you need to wrestle with difficulties in your life. And instead of wrestling it with us or by yourself, which we all have a tendency to do, he wants us to go to him. Do you think that somehow he doesn't know what you're thinking? So many times I feel like he said to me, why do you wait so long? The other day, I kid you not, it was Thursday, I felt like I had maybe a two-week break from this, like, depressive spirit, but I felt, it's real weird, I could almost feel it in my mind as I was cleaning the Lakeshore Drive, I felt like I was here, being held by God, but the depressive spirit was right outside and it was looking, it was kind of circling around looking for a crack to get in. And you know what I realized, you know, if I really want to do the smart thing, I better stick as close as I can to him. Because if I don't, I will open the crack for that depressive spirit. Now, so here we go. All right. Moses returned to the, okay. Uh, then Moses, the Lord said to Moses, wonderful. Once again, Moses should have been shut down. Moses should have been rebuked. But does God rebuke him? No, he doesn't. He treats him with gentleness. Why? I love it. It says it in the 103rd Psalm. 
for he as as a father to his children and remembers that we are made of dirt. He has compassion on us. He knows who we are. The strongest of us still live in a tent. He is our strength. He is our refuge. He doesn't say, build yourself up. He says, run into me. Build yourself, in the, build yourself up in the faith, the most holy faith, but run into me. Find refuge in me. You can't handle this on your own. That's a big lesson for us. And can I tell you something? It's like an exercise. I will do it the more I exercise it. So let's keep going and finish up. The Lord then said to Moses, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Almighty God. But now my name is the Lord, and I did not make myself known to them as I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they will live as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians have enslaved, and I am remembering my covenant. And this is where it finishes. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. With mighty acts of judgment, I will take you as, <laughs> I will take you as my own people. This is God's word. Powerful, powerful word. Um, when I went to uh, last week, uh, sometimes I have notes. Um, all, I always have notes. I, I always research what I'm going to say. But um, I always leave room for the Lord to kind of stop me from, my, from the notes that he's given me. And, and oftentimes I'll kind of go in. And, and before I could even bring the notes to the people at Norwich, I had said to them, I go, I want you to remember this. Of the 1.4 million people who were decision-making age that were taken out of Egypt, get this, only two entered in to the promised land. Two. And I thought to myself, man, that's a pretty staggering statistic. That's a staggering statistic. That means to me 1,399,998 didn't enter, and it wasn't because God rejected them. This 1,399,998 reasoned it was more comfortable to live in the wilderness than to trust in the God, trust in God in the discomfort of the promised land. I'm going to say that again. They trusted that it was safer for them to stay in the wilderness than to go in a place where they feared the struggle. Big mistake, folks. Big mistake. And I thought to myself, it's easy to feel the uh, emotion of hearing God loves you. You're, you're like overwhelmed. And man, I got struggles and I got troubles in my life. And I've been addicted and I've been beaten. And I got crazy thinking. And then you hear God loves you. That's the craziest thing you've ever, that, who, who's with me on that one? You hear it and you're like, there's no way that can be true. He loves them because they've always gone to church. They're beautiful. Me, I'm filthy, dirty, I smell like hogs. And I did it. Love me? No way. But somehow, some way, he convinces you he does. And you come to him. 
But I've also seen this as an example. You come to him, and then the reality of walking in the promised land hits. And you think to yourself, well, I like the deliverance part. It's the moving to and struggling in the promised land that's not comfortable for me. So I go back to a certain measure of the wilderness. Now, let me give you a little example of what happens when we do that. What we do, sorry, I got to take off. If you walk back to the wilderness path, you're going to align the increase with the decrease of what you took. And so the potential increase is so wide that you can't possibly take it. But let me explain what I'm talking about in my experience as well. And what happened? They died in the wilderness. Their kids got it, but not them. They didn't get it. I, I've been doing this now for five years, and I believe that it's my job. And please believe me, I, I always struggle. I don't want to oppress. I don't want to frighten. I don't want to manipulate. I don't want to use. I don't want to scare people into following the Lord. You know why? When you've tasted grace, man, you're like, man, why would you ever not choose him? Why would you ever not choose him? Don't you ever think for a minute that he's not trustworthy because he proves it over and over and over. Can I get an amen? I feel that it is my job to warn us, to exhort us, and to challenge us almost a little bit more than I comfort, I encourage, and I assure. Why? And I'll tell you why. Because I believe this is a relationship. You have been called to a relationship with your God. He sought you, not the other way around. And he's saying, I love you and want you to be my beloved. Now listen, this is where the problem is. Because I'm human, and we all been, how many people have been in relationships in their life? Well, it's really great in the beginning, amen? You're like, man, this is exciting, this is new. I love being in love, right? But then... Because, right, because you can sing it, you love it, right? You know, hey, this is all great. And all those little blemishes or those little things that you don't like about the relationship, you're like, hey, come on, man, it's no big deal. We got all this. Why focus on that? Give it five years. <laughs> Give it five years. And I tell you, those things that you were easy to blow off, you're like, that's all you can see. When I tell you that we're in a relationship, we are indeed in a relationship. I am in a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and I'm in a relationship with you. And you're in a relationship with me. And guess what? Sometimes I'm not attractive. So you know what we like to do? We come into the church, and we come out of the church, and we do one of these little numbers. To build the line. remember that. Um, following the Lord, I want you, to, and I think you'll all agree, is difficult. If you're going to follow him in a saving way, in the beginning, the idea that God loves you and he desires to care for you, to forgive you, and to heal you, it's amazing. It is truly, truly soul-satisfying. But we all know that following the Lord in a saving way is self-denying. 
It's saying nothing when I want to defend myself. It's claiming my rights when I feel I've been overlooked. It's fighting and investing for me. Because after all, if I don't look out for me, no one will. Why? That's what we've done from the time we came from the womb. My grandson loved the little kid. But you know what he says? When I'm hungry, I need food. And it goes from there. Moms are smiling right now. Like, yeah, I know what you're talking about, man. All right. Following the Lord in a saving way is self-denying. It is living sacrificially in the light of grace. It is a certainty. Now get this. That if something is right for me to do, I have to do it even if it's difficult or costly. Can I tell you something? That's an anchor in my life. Because my eyes have a tendency to see sparkly things at the distance. They're the peripheries in my life. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? You know, when Tracy met me, man, I was like, she was 19. She was beautiful, man. Her hair was blonde. And I loved her. I've been married for 26 years. And sometimes all I could see is that she loves to keep her hands on the steering wheel. <laughs> so that's all I could see. And me, I want to fight. Why? Let's not blame her, because I like to keep my hands on the steering wheel. But once again, when I think to myself, well, maybe there's something else out there that could be a little bit more fulfilling, a little bit more exciting, a little bit more uh, 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 wonderful for my life, the truth is I remember, no, this was who God picked for me. And this is where I must stay. And not begrudgingly, I must do my best to make it better. God says, follow me, you'll live in a promised land. You'll live in a promised land, Tom. Well, it doesn't always feel like a promised land. No, 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 but I want you to trust me that in the end, ultimately, it will be worth it. Let's keep moving forward. When we talk about deliverance, I think we need to... Uh, keep our minds on a couple of things. First of all, deliverance is being saved from and to something else. So it's not just one way. It's not just being saved from. It's being saved to. It's a complete circuit. If the circuit is not complete, you have to ask yourself, was there really salvation? You know, one of the things that I thought from the very first time when I started reading the scripture, especially because I, I was a terrible, awful student, terrible reader, and I started in the book of Mark, and I fell in love with the Gospels. And I can remember for probably seven years, that's all I ever did was read the Gospels over and over and over. And I saw so many things. But one thing that really was peculiar to me is everybody in the crowd wanted Jesus to speak against Rome's oppression. Speak against Rome. They're our problem. And Jesus is like, really, Rome's not your problem. You know what your problem is? You know what, don't worry, there's always going to be another Rome. Don't worry about that. If I save you from Rome, send you out and give you back to yourself, you know what you'll do? You'll run right back into the arms of another Rome. Get that in your head. Get that. I get that in my head. I have to fight for that to get in my head. I drill it into my head. Oh, well, this isn't pleasant. I want to get away from this oppressor. Okay, great. I'm going to pull you out, but I'm going to pull you to something. Well, can't you just save me and let me go back on my way? No. You've got a bad track record, Tom. You're going to go run right back to another slave driver. You know why? Here's the truth. The slave driver's not out there. The slave driver's here. 
I don't have to worry about Satan, and I'm not being arrogant, Lord. I have to worry about my flesh. That's number one competitor to God. It has always been. Boy, I've got a little echo going on here. Maybe that's the Lord. Lord promised that he could use anybody, yeah? All right, so let's look at a couple different things. Salvation, if, if salvation is only being saved from one thing that is painful or oppressive, uh, to, it is an incomplete circuit. It is just switching slavery. So let's look at a couple things he calls us out from and to. One of the things that he calls us out from is empty promises and dead-end pursuits. That's why I'm so negative on the world. You can have it all. Jesus' words don't take mine. He says, what does it matter if you gain the entire world and all of its accolades, but you lose your soul? What can you give in exchange for your soul? And I assure you, people have given their souls away over and over and over for the success the world promises them. Let me give you a brief example of that. How many of you guys know who Mark, uh, not Mark Job, uh, Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs. He was the guy who made Apple, right? Possibly considered one of the greatest innovators and inventors of our day, a great businessman. Do you know he was so driven that his own children refused to come to his funeral and wouldn't take one dime of his estate because they felt his hatred and contempt for them? They're like, I don't want nothing to do with that money. It's cursed. Boy, that's something. Maybe it's not so much if it's $500, but it was way more than $500, folks. They said, give it to charity. Maybe then it'll do some good. Because all they could see was this guy had sold his soul out, and he ruined his family. He beat his family. He overlooked his family, and he saw people as manipulative tools, as chess pieces for him to get where he wanted to go. And they said, no thanks. So God calls us out from a of empty promises and dead end, and he calls us into eternal living through eternal relationship. Remember this. It's not the gold streets of heaven that is the gift of salvation. It is the relationship with God. But you have to invest. See, we can over-spiritualize things and really mess it up. It's like any other relationship. I have to put in. I have to sit, I have to wait, I have to work it, cultivate it. But when you cultivate it, he's telling you, you're going to get what you long for. The thing you desired with all of your heart, only I can give you. Remember that. Number two, God calls us out from chaos and dysfunction to order and sound living. This is, and I'm going to say, for everybody here, I would have to say, that's probably not too much of a stretch. You're all mortal people doing wonderful things in this world. But for those who come out of extreme chaos, even though they know it's chaos, they stay in chaos because it's common. They'll keep holding on to things. And everyone who else is not stuck in it, they'll go, why do you keep holding on to that thing? And they're like, it's like I can't let it go because that's all I know. People go in from one relationship after another, bad after bad after bad, decision, decision, decision. And you're like, aren't you following Christ? Yeah, I am, but I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, the reason they don't know is because they think that it's wiser to go back into the wilderness than to struggle in the promised land. Amen? 
All right, number three, God calls us out from slavery to a never-satisfied tyrant, and he calls us to living out with divine purpose and meaning. That means substance and fulfillment. God promises us completion. Will we ever have it all here? No. But I want to tell you, one of the main drivers in my sinful life was always one thing. I felt empty. No amount of stuff, no job, no money, no partying, no applaud, no relationship could ever fill it. All it did for me every time was when I woke up, I realized, oh, crap, sorry. I did it again. And I kept selling myself out. Do you know we can even do that with the church? Well, I'm looking for success. So God meets you on the road. You come in, you're like, man, I'll devote myself to you. And you know, you'll know when that happens, when you devoted to the right God, but you're doing it in an idolatrous way. When you don't get where you think you should be, you're going to be the first one to try to get out. When I hear people going, man, the church hurt me, I'm just going to tell you. You come to me with that, I'm going to tell you this. Who did you do what you did for? Man, I can tell you, my pastor, Asa, I was mad at him for a long time. Why? Because I wanted him to affirm me. I wanted him to put me in that place. And God was like, you think Asa can put you down? You think he's in charge? I'm really. I mean, I've really done a lot of work in your lifetime. You're really not that dumb. And you know, can I tell you the truth? You know who kept me down? And I knew it because it happened to me on uh, Congress Boulevard right by Dearborn where he said, who gets to choose, Tom, you or me? Who gets to choose? And you know what? I was resistant. But you don't. Who gets to choose? Who, but I, who gets to choose? I remember I threw up my hands and cried and I refused to. And I died. I died a portion of my death at that place. And can I tell you something? The thing that I desired was really his desire in me. But if I would have got it before that happened, I would have blew it. It would have been like greed and idolatry. Why? Because I'm just looking to be a pastor so that I can look myself in the mirror and go, you really are a success, Tom. Do you know how many times God gives us gifts and we use them and we feel filled and we feel overwhelmed and we feel the applauded? We never admit it to ourselves. But it's there. And God's like, oh, Tom, you did all that stuff for you. You missed the greatest part. You know, so I want to tell you this. He pulls us out of this. Last week, I learned, we learned that God calls us not only out from Egypt, but he calls us to him. The promised land is not just the place. He calls us to him. The promised land is not a geographical location. It's an attitude. It's a manner and lifestyle. And what is that lifestyle looking? It means that I will strive to trust in him. He wants to influence my decision. He wants to influence my making uh, uh, of, of my value system. You all, We all have a value system, but he wants to be my my influence of other. So when I'm walking through the streets of life where I go, man, that really smells nice and looks nice. And he's like, yeah, but where does it kind of go in this value system? You know what I've learned is part of my value system? It is truly better to give than to receive. 
Do you know why? 31 years, I gave to myself, pursued myself, chased myself. I worshipped myself. And I worshipped a fool, which made me a double fool. And God said, now you're worshiping the real God. How does that feel? Not comfortable sometimes, Lord. He's like, well, I didn't ask that. How do you feel? I go, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go, Lord God? Where else? You're the only one who's got the words of life. Where am I going to go? Who else would have took me? Every time I think to myself, well, maybe this time it'll be different. And I assure you, what he has for you is better. God's promised land is the place where we can strive to trust in him because we have seen his revealed character. We have tasted his goodness. Like Tobe said the other day, taste and see that the Lord is good. How is he going to recount it in your life? Before you know, before you recognize him, how many times did he provide for you? How many means of escape did he give you? How many times did he protect you from your very own choices? So many times we're like, God, why would you deny me? He's like, because I've proven to you when I deny you, I'm protecting you. I'm not cheating you. I'm saving you from something that will kill you. Let's keep moving forward. The New Testament definition of rest, and that's what we've been called to. It is the promised land. It looks more like confident surrender than it does inactivity. Five things we need to hold on in our calling out and our calling to. Here, we're going to be really, oh, man, I'm ahead of the game, huh? I got 20 minutes. Man, that's hard for me, boy. All right. God promises our value despite our opposition. One of the things that your enemy wants you to do and your natural broken flesh wants you to do is to doubt that he's going to win in your life because things are hard. There's opposition. There's always going to be an opposition. It seems like no matter what I do, I can't get around or I can't get through. If I only had this or if I only had that. And you know what he's saying? No. No. You need me and me alone. When I want you to have something, I assure you, you'll get it. Do the right thing when it's right to do. Leave that to me. You know, I tell you the truth, I've been fighting at my work for a long, long time because of the unfairness of the overtime. Why? I'll tell you why. Because I'm getting close to retirement, and I think if I could build my retirement savings account up, I can protect my wife and myself from discomfort. And God goes, have you ever not been comfortable, Tom? Have you ever missed a meal? And then I look at myself. And I go, no, I have not missed a meal. He's like, no, as a matter of fact, you sometimes eat three, four times a day. Who gave you that? You think you did it? No, he did it. He did it. He's always been doing it. He's been providing. You know what wonderful things is? The best thing is when I give myself over to him, he has who he has, where he has him, to be my provision. Do you know how many times I've gotten a call? And I, I always call him out, but he's the guy. He's the one. He'll call me up. And I don't tell many people a lot of stuff. Why? Afraid, I'm afraid. I don't want people to think badly of me, but he knows too much. <laughs> so I can tell him all my stuff. And you know what? Man, I tell you, he validates me, doesn't placate me, though. And he's so, can I give you a different perspective? And it's always on target. Man, it's God saying, I am 
your provision. That's what it meant, meant when he goes, I gave this stuff to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you know what I didn't give them? My name. Remember, his name isn't Lord or God Almighty. It's Yahweh, which means I am. Well, what does that mean? He goes, I am what you need. Not just the, provender, the, 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 the presenter of it or the vendor of it. I'm the thing you need. I'm the one. If you don't get me, guess what? All the other stuff, it's going to lose its value. It's the way it works. That's what the promised land is. Let's keep moving forward. Pharaoh's pretty powerful. He's a force to be reckoned with. He believes that he's the living embodiment of Egypt. Let's keep going to number two. Human opposition only serves to increase God's glory. Remember this. When you feel people come against you, I'm going to give you a verse. There's three verses I'm going to give you for three different points. One is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. For God spreads out the heavens like a curtain and he makes tent for him to live in from them. He is the one who judges the great people of this earth and brings them all to nothing. They are hardly getting started, barely taking root. He blows on them and they wither and he sends the winds to carry them away like chaff. Whom will you compare me to? Who is my equal? You know what he's saying? Don't trust in your understanding, your strength, or some earthly benefactor to give you what you really need. I'm the one. Trust me. Third, God's purposes are served and his promises stand even when the circumstances get worse. Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you and sweep you down. When you walk through the fires, you won't be burned and consumed, for the flames themselves will not conserve you. When he says when, he's not saying if. He's saying when, because I'm going to send you through them. Why? Because he's doing something of eternal weight. Let's stand up. As we sing our last song, I want you to think of this. This week, I want you to put yourself in a position where you can listen to the voice of the Lord. Don't trust in your experiences because they can trick you. Open up the word of God. Read as much as you can at the time and sit there. Hand on that Bible and say, I'm not going anywhere until you, you talk to me. Because ultimately, of everything I need, you're, you're the number one. Because nothing else matters. Talk to me. Can I tell you something? How many parents here? What if your kids said that to you? What would you do? We who are imperfect, if we know, if we would go out of our way, we should, this guy shut things down to be with his kid if he said that. All right, let's 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 sing. Lord, I come and I confess, bowing here, I find my rest 
And without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. We're going to sing that again. Lord, I come. Lord, I come. I confess, bowing here, I find my rest without and without you. I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Come on, Lord, I need. Lord, I Sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found, is where you are, and where you are, Lord, I am free, holiness is Christ in me. And where you and where you are, yes, the Lord, Lord, I to give light to those who are in darkness and to give them a crown of beauty and the oil of joy instead of ashes and mourning. 
Let's hold hands, man. I know if you're new here, that's going to seem real weird, but it's all right. Following Christ is real weird. Am I right? Man, I want us to, uh, I want us to see God in the unity of the church. I want, I want us to see him using every one of our hands in accordance with his grand purpose. I want all of us to go from a place of doubt and maybe a little hesitation to honesty, openness, vulnerability, comfort, joy, and compassion. Lord, I know you can do those things. I know it. I, I don't have to. That song told me. I just have to shout the name Jesus. It breaks down strongholds. Lord God, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. We have faith, but we struggle in our faith. Help us in our unbelief. I pray that you would be glorified and exalted, and I pray that this place would be busting loose with those who proclaim I know the Lord lives because I am here today. And we pray this all in one voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you guys leave, please uh, go up and just uh, give them a hug and tell them.